Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we think about our text today, I want to I want to be able to use all three of them, but we want to start with the gospel lesson for today. And and with that, what I'd like us to do is just remember that what made a difference was seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And so we're going to think about peace, but we're going to think about what we see first. And so with the, the thoughts of seeing, I want to use the whole idea of observation. And I have a little story I want to read to you. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of a British doctor who was teaching one of his classes the importance of observation. He held up a beaker filled with urine and told the class that among other ways of gaining knowledge about a patient's condition from urine samples, one approach involved taste. After a lot of squirming and some audible groans, he announced, I want all of you to observe how I do this and do exactly what you see me do. He then proceeded to stick one of his fingers into the beaker and bring it to his mouth. He then passed the container around the room and looked at the various disgusted looks as each student tasted the urine. When the beaker came back to him, he announced this was not actually a lesson about urine. It was a lesson about observation. If you observed me carefully, you would have noticed that I dipped one finger into the urine but put a different finger into my mouth. All right, so what are we observing today as we look at our text? Okay, we don't want to taste the bad stuff. We want to receive that which is good. And so as we do, I want us to see that why do the disciples need peace? Well, first, they're afraid of the Jews. Their life has become disoriented. And I want you to say, I'm going to give you three words today. I want you to repeat with me. Um, and so we'll give you those three right now. The first one is orientation, disorientation, reorientation. All right, so the disciples were disoriented, okay? Have you ever been disoriented? I've heard stories about when a pilot flies into a cloud, and if he's not using his instruments before the time he gets out, he will somehow flip over and be flying upside down, gets disoriented. How many of us have been so tired that we went down in the afternoon just for a quick little nap, and when we were woken up, we are like, where am I now? And is it still, what, what time of the day is it? You ever been disoriented that way? Okay. The disciples were disoriented because their Lord, their Messiah, the one in whom they trusted and they were building their lives on, the one whom they were following, had died. A most gruesome, awful death. What would they do now? They were disoriented because they were afraid of the Jews. What the Jews did to Jesus might also be their lot in life and death. What would now happen to them? 
And so they were anxious. They were afraid. And they needed to hear Jesus speak those wonderful words, peace be with you. I heard a story this week from someone, a, not so much a story, but just a report that someone two years younger than I had passed away from the coronavirus. Some of you are hearing stories of siblings with the virus, loved ones who are struggling, having the virus or trying to not get the virus. Some, what I hear most often when I talk to Concordia students, when I talk to our membership, what I hear mostly is we are so, it's, it's a wild thing, because the word I hear over and over and over again is the word boredom. And that is so interesting because we have, even if we're stuck in our houses, we have so much that we can do, Right? When I look around the house, I have this embarrassment of riches of books. I have probably hundreds of them that I haven't yet finished. I can go online anytime I want to. I can call and talk to people when I want to. I can do conference calls on my phone. I can do all these other things, and yet there's a sense of boredom. And I think what that comes from is, and, and we're anxious about it, Right? Oh, no, not me, Pastor. I'm not anxious at all. That's okay. Just talk to somebody else in the church. You won't have to make that many phone calls to find someone anxious about not being able to do other things that they're so used to doing. You see, we might not call it fear today, but we would call it anxiety because you and I were not in control. And when we're not in control, that produces the anxiety, the fear. Because, you know, we can build our lives on two things, right? Trusting God or doubting God. And every time that things happen where God shows himself to not be predictable, then we begin to struggle trusting him. As long as God does everything that makes sense, as long as God does everything that's for my good, we're all good with trusting him. But in, in those moments when things don't make any sense, like what the disciples were dealing with, not only had their Savior been crucified, their Lord, their Messiah been crucified, their rabbi, the one they followed, not only was he crucified, but now they were hearing confusing reports that he was alive again a time of great disorientation. Not only that, but when Thomas hears the news, I want you also to catch that when the disciples heard that news or they saw Jesus, and Jesus says to them, peace be with you, they are overjoyed, right? Can you imagine what it had been like to see your Savior to have departed from your Savior to flee from him when the, when the soldiers came, to know and watch him be crucified from a distance and then to see him alive again. There had to be a mixture of some guilt and shame for fleeing, some overwhelming joy in seeing him alive again. And yet, when you hear about Thomas and they say, he is alive, 
The following week, eight days later, they're still huddled together in a locked room. Interesting, huh? And when they tell Thomas, Jesus is alive, he has to wait eight more days for him to see the proof of Jesus being alive. Again, we touch on a disorienting thing for us. Waiting. Waiting is super difficult, isn't it? Psalm 37 tells us this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When we're anxious, when we're afraid, it's really hard to wait patiently, isn't it? In the middle of that disorientation, what we need is reorient, being reoriented again. That's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus comes and he's with them and he says, peace be with you. See, their whole lives as those disciples were those who left everything to follow him. Left their parents, left their business, left the, the tax collector's booth. They left everything that they saw for their identity to go and follow him, to follow that rabbi, the Messiah. That was their orientation. All of life was centered on Jesus. What we observe, what we see from the text is when they saw him and he said, peace be with you, that mattered. How is it that they could have peace just by seeing him? What brings peace? That's a question I want you to think about for yourselves. What is it that you need to have peace? Which is a sneaky way for me to ask, what's at the center of your life? What is your life oriented around? Too often in my life, my life is oriented around, my dad always likes to say, if you have your health and your faith, everything else. And you know what? The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. But when my dad says it, he oftentimes says, if you have your health and your faith, and I take the order far too importantly. As long as I'm healthy, things are great. But if I'm not, I won't have peace. How about for you? Because if I observe the text, there's two things. Jesus is alive and Jesus is here. So have peace. Right? He's alive. Your Savior, your Messiah, your hope, your joy is alive. In Him, in Him being alive, all the promises He's made are guaranteed for you. Be at peace. Or do you struggle like I do because my life isn't only oriented around Jesus, but sometimes it's oriented around my comfort, my pleasure, my health. 
my comfort, my control, my wants and desires, because my foundation isn't always trusting Jesus and finding life fully in Him. Sometimes my life is found doubting Him and making my life work my way. Now, the good news is that when you and I are disoriented, whether that's because we're afraid of the Jews or because we're afraid that we're not going to be healthy or things aren't going to work our way, whatever it is, isn't it great news that in the moment, mo- middle of those moments that we actually have something we can do? You see... We know that God reorients us on a weekly basis, right? I hope that when you come here and you hear from me that you hear about Jesus, your Savior, and the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection reorients your life and the resurrection renews your life. But what do you do in the disorientation as you wait to be reoriented? And what I want you to do, you see, I've asked people this before. What does our culture give us as a way to help us deal with the disorienting of life? When suffering comes, when difficulty comes, when fears come, how how does the world, how does our culture help us? Take a pill, eat some food, distract yourself with videos, entertain yourself somehow, engage in who knows what. It's all distraction techniques. But you know what God says? Again, I'm telling you things I've told you before, and why would I do that? (laughs) Because I need to hear things over and over and over again before they finally start to sink in. God wants you and God wants me to lament. Dear God, here's my problem. Oh, Lord, the one you love, you, me, you, Lord, the one you love is struggling to wait. Lord, the one you love is struggling to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, the one you love is struggling to trust you. You see, in other words, in the midst of my being disoriented and fearful and anxious, it's not me running away from God. It's learning how to run to God. We want to run to God with our feelings, with our fears, with our struggles, so that we might then be able to do what our other two lessons talk about today. There's a little section in a a book that reminds us of something. And this little section says this. The coming of God's Son is the real hope of the believers. The early Christians constantly looked forward to it. The church in its first love waited for its Lord. How often, too, Jesus himself and his apostles admonished us to wait for his coming and to hasten to meet him. The return of the Lord is not a theme with which certain specialists occupy themselves, but it is the great theme of Scripture. And it must also become ours. 
We are all deeply aware of that fact that our congregations need a spiritual renewal. How can this take place? I asked that of a missionary. He responded, when the hope of the Lord's return becomes living in our congregations. Do you, on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, long for Jesus to come again? Are you living each moment, each day, oriented around the Savior, reoriented around the one who's done it all? Remember Good Friday? It is finished. Remember that Jesus rules over all things for the sake of his church. Remember that even now when we're disorienting, disoriented, God is using that mess to conform us to the image of his Son, that we might cry out to him, that we might lament to him, that we might remember that as the epistle lesson says, we have a living hope. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we can long for the day when we will see him face to face. Jesus is the only one. How many of you, how many of us, long to find peace by understanding? If I could just figure out what God is doing or why he's doing that, then everything will be okay. And Jesus today says, I'm enough. My being alive and here with you is enough for peace. And the scary thought is, If that's not enough for you, then you might never be satisfied. Did did God tell Job why he suffered? Never revealed that. Does God tell you always why you go through all your hardships? You see, The reorienting idea isn't, here I am, here I am, I'm Jesus, I'm telling you exactly why all of that happened to you. That's not the reorienting. Reorienting is helping you look forward to your future hope as you live confident with Jesus today. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in this time of rest for me, this disorienting time, God is using it in awesome ways. As I keep confessing to God day by day by day, my, my wife wrote a little, a little message for the Texas Messenger. I'm going to spoil it. Whenever it comes out, six months from today or whenever it does, okay? It'll talk about everything's changed and nothing's changed. Everything's changed. We no longer go, go, can go and do. My wife, she'd be gone here in a couple of weeks for the whole summer, basically. Everything's changed for her. And yet, now that she has all this time, she says, you know, I'm going to be able to get all these things done in the house. That ain't happening. Have you experienced that too? All these things are going to now happen because I have time, and yet they don't happen because I'm still the same person. I'm still the same broken person 
that needs a Savior. And he's still the one who says, not only to Thomas and the other disciples in that room, but he says to you and to me when we are disoriented, peace be with you. And out of that peace comes rejoicing. Out of that peace comes a change. That change that comes by his spirit reminding us of that truth. Amen? Amen.